Hi, and welcome to the new series of The Bottom End, a podcast for people living with Crohn's or colitis. I'm Luke Eskin, and together with Brittany Nickel and Justin Singh, I'm going to be delving into the deep, dark underbelly of what it's like to live with IBD, and hopefully showing you that it's not so deep and dark after all. I'll also be getting some medical insights from gastroenterologist Dr. Ed Giles. Life, school and social media is the subject of today's conversation. What we found stressful, what helped us and how we felt between the final years of school and the time we moved out of home into the big, bad adult world. And we'd just like to say thanks to AbV and Crohn's and Colitis Australia for helping us get this series out there. We hope you'll find it useful. Hello and welcome to The Bottom End with me, Luke Eskom. I'm here with Brittany Nickel and Justin Singh, and today we're going to talk about life, school, and social media. What was great, and what was hard, and how did we deal with it all? So, Brittany, maybe I can start with you. As we've talked about before, you were obviously dealing with your IBD during high school. How did that affect you? A big thing for me was stress. So, obviously, stress is no good for anybody, but I found that, and over the years, I've, I've dealt with... Um, a lot of my relapses through a stressful period. So I obviously progressed through high school and got to the point where surgery was previously talked about at a young age and multiple hospital admissions and and um, that kind of thing. So there was times where you'd spend three months in hospital and um, it did affect my schooling, obviously. So taking time off and ended up doing a fair bit of schooling from hospital. But having that transition where I got to the point where I required surgery and it was inevitable, I had no option. So I was actually in year 12, which very stressful period. I didn't end up sitting for my year 12 HSC because I was in hospital and ended up going off an average for the grade. And what about you, Justin? I think you've also mentioned before that the HSC was a, a tricky time for you. How did you cope? during that period had the resection had a resection um just after my school my hsc um that's when i was the most stressed and and like Brittany said before um was like that stress really you know the stress of trying to talk to the hottest girl in school and trying to make it through school yeah. that's the number one priority really that, that was yeah yeah uh i mean and uh that HSC is a stressful time for everybody. I mean, I'm sure everyone still wakes up with nightmares that it's it's the HSC exams again, and you know you haven't revised and all of this sort yep. of stuff. Like we all go through stress. Um, did it affect your attendance at school? Did you have Absolutely. a lot of, of days off? Like oh, yeah, um, I'd, I'd be in the hospital once a year for about a month, um, either draining some fistulas or having like a resection or um, just from the like having to be put in an environment uh, with uh, with a drip connected feeding me food because I wouldn't eat so definitely uh, affected my attendance there would be days where I didn't want to go because I was so tired um, and would you would your dad let you stay home like do you have yeah. a good yeah he, he, I was the same I missed about uh, 20 days one term I remember just saying mum I'm, I'm too tired I just can't do it yeah um, did you have the, the same uh, thing with attendance, Brittany? I did. Uh, Take a lot of, of, of sick days as well of, as days in hospital. A lot of sick days and a lot of days off 
because of hospital visits, like I've said just before, you know, three, four-month stints, and you, you miss out on a fair bit of school. Um, and how did that... Um did, were the teachers understanding of that? Was there a sort of conversation around the staff? Look, this is something that uh, this student needs to do for their health and, and for their ability to get through this, this year? Of course. Like, it, obviously, it depends on who you've got to. But um, I always uh, had advice with my year advisor. So, you know, every year we had a year advisor that would be that person to go to and they informed obviously all my teachers and and there were a lot of my teachers were very accommodating obviously there's a couple that didn't support but um yeah a lot of them did know what was going on and and they tried to adjust for it and and it was hard too because a lot of the times you're missing out on tests and all that kind of thing and you've got to apply for all these separate like you've still got to do a lot of paperwork just to get the actual clearance there's a lot more behind the scenes that people kind of don't realize into going you know well I'm not at school for three months It's not that I'm not doing anything, it's just I can't be there. So clearly for many people, and and that certainly includes for all of us, school and sitting the HSE and so on was a very stressful time. But the other thing you realise is when you get to being 20 years out of school, I've found this um, kind of meeting up with people now that I went to school with, I realised everyone was going through dramas at school. You know, everyone was sort of trying to fit in or trying to be the popular person or, or you know, just, just trying to survive in that environment and maybe their parents were divorcing and all sorts of stuff was going on that you just, you just don't know about. We just need to really be, be kinder with one another in school, don't we, and just not be afraid to show that the, the struggles we're having because it's actually, it's actually the best part of ourselves is the, is the way we're dealing with that. You know, the superficial stuff is, is, is nonsense and it, it seems to be how, how we were kind of always connecting us on this sort of competitive superficial level. Um, on that topic, I wanted to talk about Instagram because as much as things are better with the internet, teenagers nowadays also have to worry about Instagram and cyberbullying yeah. and the sort of stuff that we never had to worry about back in when we just had our Game Boys, you know, you couldn't get cyberbullied <laughs> while you were playing Tetris. Um, Pokemon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's back. Um, but Brittany, you're a great uh, ambassador on Instagram. I mean, you, you post these really sort of strong and yet vulnerable pictures of yourself kind of with, with your bag and these really sort of positive messages. I mean, I, I feel like you are using that experience of being uh, back at school and, you know, maybe being bullied to be a, a figure of strength and hope. Um, so c- can you talk about Instagram and social media? It's a love-hate relationship, I'll say that much. Um, as much as it, it's a good thing, it can be a bad thing as well. And, and I think you've got people in positions where they're, uh, what do you influencers as such, but if they're not using that platform to influence people in a positive way, I really don't see why you know what I mean like they're there for the wrong reasons so for me it's um like I said I became an ambassador for Crohn's and Colitis Australia in 2011 and part of that was me speaking about my story and and at the time we were, I was going around to youth groups and camps and, and speaking to kids of a similar age that were experiencing experiencing similar things and um for me social media um you know, my disease in itself, I mean, it's its always one of those things that it's an invisible illness. And obviously having an, invi- uh, an invisible illness, it can be hard to relate 
and for people to understand where you're coming from like it, it's hard because people just kind of look at you and and so many I would literally be rich <laughs> if I'd taken a dollar or even a cent for the amount of times people have said oh but you look so fit and healthy you must be doing so well whereas on the inside it's a completely different story not only physically but emotionally as well um, so for me social media is one of those things I could either go down the path of accepting my illness but using it and hiding it I guess like obviously a lot of people they find it hard to talk about and it's a taboo subject as such and obviously that's why we do what we're doing is to try and remove that stigma and and flush that stigma as such so for me I use social media in a way that I'm very open and like you said vulnerable in certain things and um, that's me sharing my experiences and sometimes I kind of think to myself I'm like oh should I really be telling the world this much? Like once it's out there, it's out there. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I've got nothing to hide. And if I can help, if one person reading or watching or seeing a post, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook or a website, if one person can take a positive from that and it helps them through a difficult situation, well, then the post was worth it. It can be hard to open yourself up to things like that and subjectivity. And for me, I've, I guess... I've been pretty lucky with social media in the fact that I haven't really copped any negative criticism, whereas a lot of people do. So um, I don't know whether that's just me in general because the posts are more positive, but it's I've started to very much open up about the other side of it as well and the fact that it's not always positive, it's not always, you know, like I I don't always walk around with a smile on my face as much as I, I paint that picture. I walk into a room and just kind of get on with it and keep going but at the same time behind closed doors and very much so that I'll be the first to admit that I've been through those difficult periods and even up until a month ago I was very very much suffering from the mental aspect and the mental impact of what this disease entails and that's something that I've recently more so opened up about over the last six months. Yes the mental health aspects of living with Crohn's can often be um, brushed over it's something that people often don't really want to talk about right? But it's something that's extremely important for us to address. And and I feel that that's happening much more these days. And the available support networks are getting better with organizations like um, Crohn's and Colitis Australia helping to bring these issues more to light. Um, But while we talked about those social media and social life-based aspects of growing up being stressful, what about the more practical parts of life? You know, leaving school and moving out on your own or going to uni and so on. Brittany, can you talk about that transition from being an adolescent to being out in the world as an adult, getting a job, you know, paying rent and all of that? Um, how did you find it managing all of those stresses as well as, on top of it, Crohn's disease? Adulting isn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes I wish I was back at school. I'm like, oh, at least I had, I knew what was going on. I'm at school and I'm surrounded by people and you know, but now, yeah, you're in the big bad world, and for me, it's it's been a transition of I was competing and, and traveling around the country and traveling around the world, and and I had I still had home as a base with my family, and um, you know, transitioning away from competitive surfing and now working full time in the industry did see me moving to Sydney, which is something I never thought I would see myself doing for starters is living in Sydney, <laughs> but here I am. And, you know, I made that move by myself. I I moved down here not knowing anybody, started a new job, only knew the people that I'm working with and 
and you know I'm doing uni as well part-time and and it's a big thing you know and and working in itself is is a big thing um just for somebody who's who's trying to get up every day and get out of bed with energy let alone having to show up at work and and get productive so um I guess that comes back to having supportive employment as well and having that that support there because that's a, I think that's a, a big thing is having a, a workplace environment that you feel comfortable in going to because at the end of the day you spend more time at work and with your work colleagues than you actually do with anybody else and it, it's the same as school you know you're spending more time with your, your peers at school than you are with your family so if if they, you don't have supportive networks in that social environment it's really difficult um for me yeah it's a, it's a big change it's a big move you know you're paying rent you're paying bills you're you're trying to look after your health and then also trying to live in a in an adult world and um did you feel like your illness was a barrier when it came to to finding work was it something that you you kind of said oh these these things aren't an option for me because of the illness there were things that I'd considered I didn't see it as a barrier as such um for me I've been lucky that uh, my employers have been very understanding so I was in a job for six years and then now I'm in a job where I've known the people that I'm working with currently I've known them for quite a while so they knew my background before I actually went into the role but um, yeah when I started the job before this it, it was something that I was there long term but the interview process and you know being accepted for the job and and going into a new position it's daunting like it's daunting starting anything new and and for me, it was one of those things I did consider. You, you consider how it's going to affect you and there's certain things like, you know, like even the other side of things with coaching, like I've done a lot of coaching stuff with surfing and things like that and things that stay in the back of my head when I'm in, I guess, bad health with my Crohn's is like, okay, well, if I coach at this location, there's no toilet. So if I'm down the beach trying to, like, provide someone with a lesson or a coaching plan or whatever it may be, they're things that I took into consideration because and travel too. Yes, absolutely. We can all understand those practical challenges, knowing where the nearest toilet is and how you're going to get there. But what happened to you after school, Justin? What What did you do after the HSC? So I didn't make it to uni, and uh, I spent a lot of time in and out of hospital. So as a result, a lot of my life, I've uh, did, like had to choose the more happier and uh, less stressful path. So I didn't make it to uni. I went to TAFE and I studied digital media. And uh, that was fun. I got to like do webs, like work on websites and learn about like cameras and videos and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, then I started working in corporate. And then at the age of 21, uh, I had uh, I had a lot of operations along the way. But that's when I had uh, my big uh, operation for my colostomy bag. There was three times in my life where I was about to have it, and that 21 was was when when I actually had it uh, put in, and um, it was like the best thing for me because I didn't have to go to the toilet all the time. I I had freedom around like not having to sit on gross public toilets and <laughs> doing the you know you 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 makeshift like a toilet seat cover <laughs> with the yes, toilet yes. with like I think we can all relate toilet. to that. <laughs> And what about um, when you are living on your own for the first time, you're, I don't know, 20, 21 years old, it's party time, all your friends want to go out all the time, party. Um, what's it like managing or living with Crohn's disease and having a group of friends that want to go out and party? 
it's it's one of those things it's like oh do I do it or do I not do it and and I think it's all about who you associate yourself with too because I've got a lot of friends that don't do that and then I've got a lot of friends that do and um, for me I've been in that environment a fair few times where I'm there but I'm not necessarily drinking or having a massive night. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have been in that situation where I, I am that person and, and I, I will do it every now and then. But at the same time, I know the consequences of it. And I also know that it's it's totally okay to go out and have a good night without resorting to things like that. And if you've got a supportive social network and a circle where friends understand that and they're not going to peer pressure you into doing something that you don't want to do, it's totally okay. And it's okay to say no too. Um, for me, like I'll... I'll quite often just go out and have a soda water and lime and, and for me that's my way of like well I've got a drink in my hand it's not necessarily alcohol but people aren't really going to question me because it literally just looks like a vodka lime and soda yeah yeah short class and uh also house party is very important especially if you have smelly poos is to carry deodorant with you and you can get the small ones the small like uh, handheld size the deodorant. hospital grade ones yeah yeah get something real nice you know and then also like essential oils as well like if you put that on yourself excellent some great tips there guys but let's say party time is over we're back at home sitting on the sofa and all our mates have gone home and now it's up to us to think about our own well-being how do you look after yourself now what what makes you feel better maybe you can talk about sort of before the bag, uh, Justin, as well as uh, after now, obviously uh, you're, you're, you've been kind of in remission, symptom-free for quite a while since the operation. Back before the op, what were things you used to do to, to try to make yourself feel better? Yeah, so I would uh, watch a lot of SpongeBob SquarePants. I would um, listen to music. I would do all the things that I could to satisfy the five senses. What sort of music were you listening to? Um, I listened to, <laughs> I listened to like rap, and then I also listened to uh, heavy metal because that's what the kids listen to. And I didn't know what to listen to, so I was like, "All right, well, that's what the cool kids are watching, <laughs> so I'm going to watch it as well." Do you um, listen to different music now? Is that what oh, you're saying? Yeah. You're sort of embarrassed yeah, about I, your I listen, music taste? Yeah, well, I, I listened to everything in the '80s. Like I just loved the '80s music because it actually made sense and music actually had a meaning back then but um what i (laughs) queen like yeah let's go oh man yeah i was at the last three shows with freddie oh Oh, that's another podcast (laughs) um what else did i do i what about physical uh did did you keep doing sport no i couldn't do any sport i had no energy to do anything so i was like on survival mode um so what i what, what else I did was I would go to the park, ride my bike, uh, but it was very minimal what I did, yeah. It was all about minimising the amount of strain I put on my body and uh, the amount of stress I put, yeah. And Brittany, uh, surfing's been a huge part of your life. Uh, it, uh, apart from surfing, are there other things you, do to, uh, you, you did to make yourself feel better? Of course, uh, you know, I, I like to maintain a fit and healthy lifestyle, but obviously when you're in a relapse or in, um, you know, a position where you can't do those things, it does get quite difficult. So for me, it's all about incorporating the things that I can do, and even if I can't do something to full capacity, I'll try and incorporate it a little bit. 
Um, you know, whether it be now, like I've learned a lot and, you know, now the things I turn to are like, you know, meditation podcasts and things like that. And just kind of talking through thoughts and ways of dealing with things, because that's kind of where I've struggled with opening up as well. And for me physically, um, you know, surfing's had a massive impact on my life and I probably did the opposite, even though I've not been hundred percent for quite a while and a long time, I still continued to trying to keep push through it I think probably because of that competitive aspect I knew if I missed out on an event I wouldn't get seeding points which would then get me to an, into another event with a better ranking so you know realistically I, I was running off like 50% where my competitors were like 150% so the ability might have been there but I wasn't able to spend time in the water or spend time in the gym and do those kinds of things so you kind of got to find other things and for me it was you know it's hard you can't do one thing so you've got to try and find another and um for me it's just turning to simple things like meditations and stuff like that but then I also like the photography side of things so if I'm not in the water I might be down the beach with the camera it's still in that same kind of environment yeah working in that mindset as well uh around what like what makes you tick what makes you unique what makes you like understanding yourself so that you can see what you're uh really good at is makes a big difference like i used to do a lot of like mindset stuff as well and reading books and uh listening to audio stuff like by tony robbins and amping myself up and looking at the world in a different point of view outside of school because at school you get taught this is the box that you get put in and then uh by listening to all these other inspirational people you're like oh okay maybe there's other points of life and it's such a big thing to understand you and uh, do you like if you who you is is surfing then do that if who you is is like looking at you know flowers and and eating chewing gum do that right I've got my number (laughs) those are my two jams right there Well, it's been awesome, as always, to chat to you both, and I hope that everyone listening has picked up something useful from hearing about what we've all experienced with Crohn's. I'm Luke Eskim, and I've been chatting to Brittany Nickel and Justin Singh on The Bottom End. Stick with us to hear more from Dr. Ed Giles. Hi, Luke Eskim here again, and I'm back now with Dr. Ed Giles, a paediatric gastroenterologist who's based in Melbourne. Uh, So, Ed, we've been having some really great discussions with Justin and Brittany about their experiences when they were younger. Is that something that you've done with your patients who've graduated, so to speak? Do you get them to come and talk to someone who was in their position? Definitely, particularly around surgery, I think that can be important. And I think we don't do it enough, actually. Um, and that can be, I I think it's really important. But I think the whole issue of, of mental health and because I think that the way people cope with their disease, and I think we've heard, you know, even Brittany and Justin who've coped with their disease in their own ways, in really very admirable ways, but it's very different and people have to find their own way to cope uh, with life in general and, and then have this disease on top. You've got to find your way of doing it. How can you help someone with low self-esteem? Yeah, I think it's it's really hard. I think just, you know... I, I've dealt with a lot of young people in peer support situations as patients and, it, and you know, adolescence is such a tricky time without Crohn's or colitis. And, you know, I, I see the cool kids, the not cool kids, but really when you're 15 and struggling, no one's that cool. You're just trying to get through. Everyone, you know, the bullies, they're, tr- they're just trying to get through. As I, think, I think we all sort of realise that now, but it's not clear when you're in it. 
you know. Yeah, when you actually, when I meet teenagers nowadays, they're just, they're children. Yeah. They're just such young people. They've got so much of their lives ahead of them. Yeah. So I think it's really hard, uh, you know, as I get older to sort of know how well to to engage with people like that. But just to explain that that this is a stage of their life and the disease is, you know, it might seem like everything at the moment, but it's not going to define you. You know, that this is something that you have to get through and you're, it's very unfair. Most people don't have to deal with this, but unfortunately you do, but you will get through it. But I think it can, you know, how we get people to hear that is, is hard, I think. Is surgery always a last option? No, no. And sometimes it can be a better option. And that's something I think we always have to talk, particularly in ulcerative colitis, but also in Crohn's disease, that it can, be a, it can be a good option. I think now we have more treatments available, it becomes a slightly less attractive option than it perhaps used to be, um, particularly in young people, because once you start operating young, as you know, Brittany in particular, I think, has, has had an experience, you, and you start to build up those operations, the chance of complications does get higher. But I certainly think one operation, you know, particularly if you're around puberty, it's a critical point, or I've certainly had patients recently you know, at the beginning of year 12, and, you know, do we try another medication that might work but is less likely to, or do we say, no, actually, this will get you well and then we'll get you through your last year of schooling? Um, And I think that... So there are various factors that have to come into those decisions. Uh, How much does uh, schooling and things like exams, how how much does that uh, affect the way you might approach a patient? Yeah, so I think that, that what I... One of the things I really love about my job is that you have to think about the patient in their, in their context. So, you know, where are they with puberty? Where are they with their schooling, their education, their training, employment? Um, and the most common sort of, well, the, probably the two most common complicating factors for us are growth and puberty and then probably year 12, which I think is a bit of a pointy end of, of school. And, and I think it is a year that is hard to do twice, um, so you do want to, it is a factor, I think, sometimes in the decisions you're making around treatment and something that I think I try and address uh, up front with families uh, early. But unfortunately, sometimes people are sick in their last year of school and that, it's, it's very difficult. What, what more do you think schools and teachers, pupils uh, could do to support someone with uh, IBD who might be about to uh, approach year 12? Yeah, In my experience, schools are generally are supportive, but of course the family and the child has to tell the people at school and sometimes they're reluctant to do that. And so I'm always saying to patients, look, you, you, you need to tell the school <laughs> because they need to understand and there are systems in place for you know extra time at the exams. It's different, I'm sure, from state to state, but there are these systems in place. But I think in general, when schools are informed, they will do their best around toilets and access and doing what they can. Um, but it can be difficult when, when young people are missing lots of school. But I've had experiences of where schools you know, provide work to the, to the hospital and things and do their best. But it can be a challenging time. One of the experiences we heard about from uh, Justin, a little bit from myself and from Brittany, was uh, of, of children being bullied at school because of something to do with their IBD. Um, is that something that you're aware of, or was that a bit surprising to hear that? I, I was surprised and disappointed to hear that. I sort of hoped that perhaps things have got better in schools generally, you know, with children of my own, but whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, I d- I've heard of that in my patients occasionally, not not very often, but maybe I don't hear about it. Um, and, 
you know, I think that I found that, you know, probably one of the more upsetting parts of what I've been listening to. Uh, and I guess that it really strengthens the importance, I think, of when you have IBD, you need to, you know, get the supports around you, you know, and that's obviously your family or school. But I think if you can just have some support around you, then, then that's what you need, isn't it? But that's easy to say, but can be hard to do, I'm sure. Thanks so much for that, Ed. It's been great to chat with you, as always. That's it from us for this episode. We hope you'll tune into more of the topics we've covered for young people living with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis here on The Bottom End. I'm Luke Eskim, and I've been talking to Brittany Nicholl, Justin Singh, and Dr. Ed Giles. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to tune in to the other episodes in our series for more insights, revelations, and general gut spilling. Hopefully only the metaphorical kind. We hope that sharing our stories will help all of you out there who are living with IBD. And we'd like to thank AbV and Crohn's and Colitis Australia for bringing this podcast to the IBD community. Before we sign off, we have some legal statements we need to make on their behalf. Firstly, everything we said is intended for an Aussie audience only, and our experiences or the things that work for us might not apply to you. So nothing that we or even Dr. Ed says in these podcasts can replace the advice of your own healthcare professionals who understand your personal situation. If you want more information or advice on your specific situation or medical condition, please talk to your own healthcare team. They're the experts, not us, and not the interweb. And of course, all of our opinions and experiences are ours, and they do not necessarily represent the views of AbbVie and Crohn's and Colitis Australia, CCA. If you are feeling down or this discussion has brought up any mental health issues for you, please reach out to a crisis line such as Beyond Blue by calling one 224636 If you would like to speak with someone about your management of IBD or make an appointment to talk with an IBD nurse, then please contact CCA's IBD Helpline or Nurse Line on 1-800-138-029. If you'd like any information from ABV, please contact their medical information team at medinfoanz at abv.com. That's M-E-D-I-N-F-O-A-N-Z at abv.com or call 1-800-043-460. Podcast ID AU-IMMG-210002, produced in May 2021. Abvi Proprietary Limited, Mascot, New South Wales, 2020.